With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. I'm Steve Braun. I'm Andrew Kraszewski. And we have a compressed episode here for you today on account of uh, just all kinds of difficulty coming up with anything to say about this past weekend's slate of games other than blah. Well, I think the best way to segue into the most interesting thing we have to say is to get to our Win Fight Try Brewster of the Week, which is Key Lime Pie, brought to you by Evil Twin Brewing. And of course, when you mention Evil Twin, you can't help but think of the Big Ten coach who looks like his own Evil Twin, one James Franklin. And you can't help but wonder if maybe somebody got a hold of the play sheet and called something that, you know, maybe looking back on it, he had a chance. Would he change his mind? No. In fact, he'd fight you over his play call. Yes, he would. That evil twin came right to the surface at the end of the game as a fan who uh, threatened him with death by love. Um, I'm love for you, bro. Now, fuck you. <laughs> I love you to call. death. I love you to death. And Franklin had to be restrained, or at least I shouldn't say Franklin, but uh, Franklin's evil twin frames Janklin. Yeah, so we'll get into that in a little more detail. As but... long as he can contain the beast that lurks within, perhaps there's still a path to the conference championship game for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, no, but anyway, before we get into football, uh, it should be noted that we're coming up on the beginning of basketball season, and of course, what we've learned about college basketball recently, uh, everyone is under arrest. All of you are under arrest for watching college basketball. Um, Never mind the fact that it's very debatable whether there's actually been any crimes committed, Uh, and that's been the approach that we've seen the defense team take as the first of what will surely be many uh, federal trials connected to corruption in college basketball arises. The defense has basically taken an attack of, well, yeah, we cheated, but so does everyone, which is how you diffuse basically the way that these charges are phrased. So it's an interesting legal approach, but, I mean, does everyone cheat? Well, what I can't wait for is for this whole FBI saga, once it's over, to be like to be fictionalized and dramatized on Criminal Minds. Who right? plays Rick Pitino? <laughs> okay, look. We're okay. It's time to deliver the profile. We're looking for a white male, uh, late fifties, who, who who doesn't last very long in bed. Um, very greasy. Possibly smells like pizza. Um, this is the man you should be looking for. Are you saying Papa John is gonna play Rick Pitino in the made-for-TV movie about this? Absolutely. <laughs> Who plays Papa John? Does Rick Pitino play Papa John? Do they just play each other? Or no, Papa John pulls an Eddie Murphy and plays all of the characters. That's a movie I'd watch. Moving on from that, um, Michigan State played Central Michigan, and as expected, they spent a lot of the time dicking around and pretending like they were on the same field as Central Michigan. No, I don't think this is pretending, man. I, there's real, There are real problems here. So on the one hand, there's been an accumulation of injuries, which is a convenient excuse, but it's still just this. It's this marriage of the injuries, of a refusal to adjust philosophy, and just like... The decisions they make at the times they make them, it's it, it, it's hard to crawl into the mindset here. I mean, they, they ended up pulling 
a bunch of the starters, both not only the quarterback, but a lot of the offensive linemen as well. Like at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I think it was 31-13 at that point. Not at all out of hand. That to Mark D'Antonio is the same as like a thousand point lead though. And so of course what happens, run, run, attempted pass, sack, punt, central scores. Then they, I mean, it's so... But yeah, of course that margin is safe because at that point you just run the ball and run the clock out, which... It would be fine, fine strategy. If, if you could get any first downs on the ground, yeah. it would be great. But yeah, I mean, considering that they can't run the ball against Central, boy, if they try to unveil it to roll out that kind of scheme against Northwestern even, let alone Penn State, I mean, there's going to be blood all over the field. It's going to go terribly. Uh, it's only because of exactly how incompetent Northwestern looked in their own attempts to hold a lead this week that I have any confidence MSU is going to win next week at all. And I still think they're going to lose. They also lost Cody White for an unspecified period of time with a broken hand, so it's one of their better players who's now hurt as well. They've already had the bye because of the early week, you know, because of the early season off week, so it's not like there's going to be any break where they get healthy anytime soon. They're going to have to figure out how to work around all these injuries and how to stop getting out of their, stop getting in their own way, frankly. It's weird because we as college football fans, uh, people rationalize poorer than expected performances against, you know, teams that are generally seen as inferior talent-wise for all kinds of reasons. It's, it's weird, you know, in NFL, there's there's none of that, right? There's there's none of, you know, we played this way because, oh, we were not showing them our whole playbook or we were trying to get back up. You know what I mean? There, yeah. There's none of that. In the NFL, like, you are exactly what the score says you are and exactly what the record says you are for the most part. God damn, am I an NFL fan now? When did that happen? <laughs> it's just it's just weird how we have this whole cottage industry of of rationalization of of these things, right? Like, I mean, you know, there there's always the thing and it's to varying degrees of truth. Truth, you know, oh, are they saving their entire are they disguising are they are they just going to spend three entire games just trying to not show anybody anything on film or is I mean, that just something that you tell yourself to uh to help you feel a little better i'd love to pretend that but it's not like msu has started off with three fcs teams or something i mean they had a road game against a pac-12 opponent they already had a conference which they game. lost too yeah so. and that's the other thing is it, it if i thought that was true for a second that's got to go out the window when it's late in the fourth quarter on the road 100 degree weather and the game is in hand. It's a one-possession game. It's a three-point game either way. Like, that can't be... That can't still be part of the equation if it ever was. And I don't necessarily believe that it ever was, except maybe initially against Utah State. Maybe they underestimated them a little bit and thought we can get away with a little bit of rope it up because they did pull out the quarterback option package late, and that ended up being what let them win the game, frankly. So, no, at this point in the season, in game four, you better not still be holding stuff back. You need to make sure everything works. It's fine if you have a trick play or two for a big moment that nobody has seen, <laughs> but, that, I mean, they use the fake field goal against Indiana, right? So, it's not like, I don't think they even hold stuff back at all. I just think they're not that good. I mean, there's when looking at the schedule, they'll probably still get to seven or eight wins, but this is not a team that's going to contend for the Big Ten, which, with the amount of production returning, had to be the preseason expectation. And yeah, so that's a good team. <clears throat> now, another thing I think is so weird in college football is versus the NFL is that an NFL team wins 75% of its games, and nobody's like, well, they're not good at all, you know. But, <laughs> but depending on what team what team you root for, you, you look at you know a team that finishes 10-2, and two and you're like, oh, man, that's like, what a trash team. They're like, not even good. And like... So there's some people that consider maybe four teams in the country to be good, to be worthy of being called good. 
Yeah, <laughs> then in my mind, it's like those are the people we don't invite to parties. No, it's the, the phrase, the joke is always, "Oh, you must be fun at parties." No, we don't know about those people because we don't fucking invite them. They're miserable to be around. They do exist, but anyway, especially in the world that we live in, this college football fan sphere. Absolutely. So Michigan State finishes with an eight-win record. That's an eight wins on their record. Then that is a good football team, given what D'Antonio has accomplished in the past. Not necessarily up to the expectation of being great. So, anyway, moving on from that, uh, weird game. Indiana beats uh, the Gers 24-17. to Not a game that ever felt that close, but then at the end it suddenly did kind of feel that close. And <laughs> this, this game kind of has the unusual hallmark of being a result that both sides can simultaneously live with and also be furious about. Yeah, it was weird. Like... There was some early stumbling, and then Indiana, like, stumbled out to a big lead? Like, <laughs> it's bizarre. Because yeah. even even as they gained, you know, a comfortable margin, it never really felt like they were totally in control. No. and I it, mean, the game seemed decided, but it seemed only because they, they had been executing enough things better than Rutgers, not because they were, you know, oh, a team that's firing all, on all cylinders. They never really... Yeah, no. It, the it struck me watching a little the little bit of this game that I did that Tom Allen's philosophy is really very similar to Mark D'Antonio's. The problem is Tom Allen doesn't have a couple of conference championships, any major bowl appearances to go to to justify his stubbornness in this approach, which is his willingness to play close games even though you've got the advantage on talent to make it you know more of a blowout. Um, I have to assume Wap Fillier was hurt in this game, because after going off against MSU, he did not appear on the stat sheet. I'm not sure he played. Yeah, that was weird, because I remember he really him. struggles with uh, with defending like big passing plays. Yeah, I, I assume he was hurt. I didn't bother to check. We don't do research for this podcast, but... Um, well, what I found bizarre was that Indiana couldn't run the ball. Right. That's That was an, an unusual thing, too, given that Stevie Scott was off to such a good start this season. Um, and so that kind of leads us to the flip side of the coin here, which is that for Rutgers, I guess, given the results the previous two weeks, you got to be satisfied your team didn't just roll over and die. They're not mailing in the rest of the season. That gives you some sliver of hope for Chris Ash pulling this thing out. I hate to say this, but it kind of felt like it kind of felt like uh, the Illinois Minnesota game last year, where even though it was a seven point game, it like never really felt like I mean there was technically a drive where it was mathematically possible and if the team had looked better in prior games I would have thought oh they could have a chance here but in our case last year and in Rutgers case this year I'm sure that the previous results just made you think oh well here we are getting closer to the inevitable than and closer to avoiding the inevitable than I thought um it, it is encouraging because you know after we said Chris Ash completely lost the team well he at least seemed to have gotten their attention for a full 60 minutes yeah. this week yeah. against, well, against uh, probably their strongest opponent that's not Ohio State um, so far. And, yeah, they, they did stop the run, and they forced them to, to pass, which, you know, Stevie Scott had been doing really well in the non-conference. Uh, he didn't do a huge amount of damage against Michigan State, but you'd expect Michigan State to stop the run a lot better than Rutgers, and the stats bear that out. Um, so we'll, we'll change pace a little bit here. Uh, the Purdue-Nebraska game, very entertaining. That yeah, seems, Nebraska that seems to be was... I never thought that Nebraska was going to win, but... They made it interesting, though. Yeah, That's it also a, never yeah. felt like Purdue was going to put it so far... It was one of those games where you knew Purdue was going to win, but you couldn't quite 
turn, turn it, it off. Yeah, well, also, because some of us might have played Wandale more, which, given the amount of points that showed up in this game, his production was just infuriating, but that's neither here nor there. So, uh, you see when Nebraska has Martinez on the field running something resembling the full playbook, what this could look like. Uh, and you can also see very clearly that they just aren't there yet. And it's really kind of comparable to what you see with Purdue, where, again, you see longer flashes, more sustained bursts of what they're capable of. You saw it against Boston College. You saw more of that in this game. And it makes sense because, obviously, Purdue is a year further into it. I have to think if you're, if you're a Nebraska fan, your goal by this time next year should be to look somewhat like what Purdue does now in terms of results on the field. You don't expect to be fully operational, but you should have a big step in the right direction. You're still going to have some decent personnel on hand. The defense is probably going to continue to be a wreck, but both of them have these brilliant offensive coaches. They had pieces on hand that fit those coaches' systems, and the coaches themselves are good enough to make pieces better than they would be before on offense. So I think what you see from Purdue now is probably what Nebraska is looking forward to next year. Um, that being said, you know, like I said, there are a lot of mistakes in this game. As much as I felt Purdue was a clearly superior team, they also did make enough mistakes and have enough misfires to let Nebraska keep it interesting. Yeah, the defensive performance from the Boston College game wasn't quite there in this one, and I really I thought their defense would come down to earth. I thought they overachieved against Boston College. Um, that's not to discredit Nebraska, who was able to put up offense, but um, yeah, Nebraska has looked has looked you know much better than their record shows when Martinez is in there. Um, and it, it, it's encouraging to see them look better than they looked, uh, against Michigan and they, you know, have some opportunities to get better and they've really got what I think is, what I think of as two opportunities to get a win, which is of course against Illinois, which is a home game against what's easily the worst defense they're going to see. And then, uh, against Minnesota, which is dealing with some very, very key injuries and, I, I don't and think it's all that strong on the lines. Really, was never in that strong of a position from a roster standpoint anyway before they had a couple of big injuries. So speaking of Michigan, uh, let's talk about that game. And I, I want your opinion here. Is this the most September Northwestern game we've ever seen? Is this more September Northwestern than getting your ass kicked by Duke or giving up three second-half defensive touchdowns to lose at home to Akron? No, the Akron one yeah. was more September Northwestern because... It's a high bar. Because that involves losing to a team that is like a lower class than yeah. Northwestern. This was against an opponent that they were underdogs against. This would be more of an October Northwestern. So they so they arrived a little early, you know, which is that's where they can take a lead and not be able to hold it because offensively things break down. Not just taking a lead, but looking like a like a much better team than Michigan was on both sides of the ball. I mean, they moved the ball with ease. They put 17 points up pretty quick, and Michigan's offense looked completely powerless. And the only way that Michigan got back in this game was that Northwestern shifted into neutral so aggressively on offense that they they lost the field position game eventually because they, they couldn't move the ball at all. It was just three and out after three and out after three and out. They did not have an autom- They did not have a manual transmission. They had an automatic transmission, and I'll tell you what it did was it went into limp mode, which is where it, you know <laughs> a thing where you where it'll sense your engine revs more than it's comfortable with, and it'll just put you into a mode where you can't go above like two thousand revs and you can't go above twenty five miles an hour just so that you can. Uh, safely get yourself home and then get it checked by a mechanic. That is what happened in Northwestern's offense. And so on the one hand, we've got... Safe mode. Yeah, we, we have some data, not only this season, but in the recent past, where Michigan's defense, for all the cl- credit they get, 
uh, is vulnerable to giving up a lot of points and yards early. They can be surprised, uh, in other words. I mean, we saw that against Notre Dame. We've seen it in previous seasons. But then they typically will make adjustments such that whatever you were doing that worked at the beginning isn't going to work, and you got to counter-adjust if you want to keep the ball moving. And Northwestern absolutely did not do that. Um, for most of the game, Northwestern's running game was totally impotent. And then the pressure that Michigan brought through Thorson off enough that the passing game that worked initially was not working anymore. And they didn't seem to have any counter in mind for that. The plan basically seemed to be, this is what we're going to do once we have enough points. We'll just sit on them like a penguin nesting on an egg and hope that we can go through more than a half of football. Because basically, Northwestern throttled down with like 35 minutes of game time left. So uh, what we established last week was that Michigan crushes bad teams and good teams or great teams don't lose to Northwestern. What this means is that Northwestern is not a bad team, but Michigan is not a great team. I have no idea why that makes you so upset, Moon. You hate those teams. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if, if you want to wrap up any more about that game, thinking about Michigan, you know, this is another indicator that that offense in particular only works against bad opposing defenses, all right? Because like we mentioned earlier, the defense really had to keep handing them possession after possession, shortening the field, shortening the field. And boy, Michigan made just enough plays offensively to manage that comeback. You know, Karan Higdon running for something like three and a half yards a carry in high volume. Um, you know, what is the ceiling of this Michigan team really? They've got the talent to be a lot better than they've looked so far. That defense continues to be great once they know what's coming and they make the adjustment, but they're not invincible. They're not going to shut out a good offense. So this, as sooner or later, they're going to face a team with both a good defense and a good offense. In fact, in two weeks, the first of those teams is coming when they play Wisconsin. So they've got to look a little better than they do now if they want to win any of those games. Yeah, that Karan Higdon stat line had to make, uh, you know, diet, caffeine-free Bo Schembechler happy. Not quite three yards and a cloud of dust. more like uh, 2.2 yards and a cloud of fart. Yeah. So, so what if this Michigan-Michigan State game this year turns into just a... a a contest of not who wins, but who establishes the run. And also, like, what if what if we what if they also petitioned the Big Ten to let this game be scored by who establishes the run and had like yeah. had like a <laughs> panel of judges judging never, on who established it better? Yeah, never mind any actual touchdowns or field goals. Whoever or ran. moving the ball, it's just whoever established the run. Whatever this nebulous concept means gets one point and then the game ends in a 1-0 score that's to be honest d'antonio and harbaugh would probably agree to that right now details be damned yes they would love that that would be a pretty cool thing if coaches could like petition the ncaa <laughs> for like special conditions for this match <laughs> yeah like, like, a ca- <laughs> like a cage match or like a money in the bank match basically like <laughs> oh yeah yeah let's let's hey you know what uh, wrestling is definitely a stable and uh, and very very uh, financially viable, right? Since we're all about selling those uh, cable bundles, we should absolutely open up the rules a little bit, open up the format, open up you know, open up a bunch of that stuff. I mean, basketball. Maybe we should pl- maybe you know the right coaches will agree to a. Uh, oh my God, what was that? Rock and Jock. <laughs> basketball rules. I'm just I'm just envisioning the handicap match like Ohio State versus Indiana, Rutgers and Nebraska or whatever, just like three on one and not like 
you can put the best 11, like 33 guys can be on the field for the handicapped team and 11 <laughs> guys from Ohio State and still see if they'd be capable of beating the Buckeyes. I, like, tell me you wouldn't pay 40 bucks on pay-per-view <laughs> to watch that. I would. Yeah, yeah, you would. You'd make bank with this. This is all about that revenue sharing, man. You got to do what's necessary to get that Skrilla. So. Yeah, man. And you know nobody stacks that paper like Jimmy Delaney. Okay. Speaking of stacking that paper. Big game of the week. There's Ohio State 27, Penn State 26. This game started as just an absolute trash fest where Penn State got field goals pretty much because of where Ohio State gave them the ball. And uh, they were just like, nobody converted. I think that they started 0 for their first 10 third, third downs, downs yeah. combined. Um, and it, early on, really, even though nobody could do much of anything in terms of scoring. Penn State was in control of the game. They were making yards. The defense in particular was doing really, really well. I had I had kind of said the defense was really off from years prior based on that Appalachian State and uh, allowing all those yards to Illinois in the first half, but... They found a script against Haskins that worked initially, yeah, to their credit. Absolutely. But then, they and, really, really uh, overperformed what they'd shown so far this season but then the i mean what this game really about was to me in the end we talked about the importance of making the right adjustments late in the game ohio state said all right you know what our long developing pass plays aren't working because they're getting pressure on haskins right away so we'll go to short quick passes and what these in this incredible battalion of athletes we have making incredible plays in space and on this occasion, Ohio State's wide receivers were so much better than Penn State's defensive backs that that was the game. Well, not was, to mention, I mean, especially with, uh, I mean, I don't know how many more of these he would have caught, but especially with K.J. Hamler out, uh, Penn State really had no big-time playmakers yeah. that could, that could you know, run through the Ohio State defense and keep the drives going. Run so, past the Ohio State, man. That was yeah. an impressive play to outrun Ohio State's Again, flock of five-star defensive backs. That's impressive speed. And you know, without really, uh, you know, without really a whole lot of ability to keep the drives going, Penn State allowed their defense to get worn out pretty quickly. And you saw the receivers just go through this, you know, make cut after cut after cut, make guys just, you know, guys had no idea where where they were going in that fourth quarter. And well, and the other thing is, this was kind of a narrow escape for Ohio State too, because there were oh, flaws. There were flaws in their game plan. All right, they they no. Clearly, there was an enormous, an enormous gaping flaw yeah, was in their let, defensive game. Letting plan. Trace McSorley run for seven yards a carry. They did and not again, scout in Trace McSorley at all because they gave up. They gave up like twenty yards to him every single play. Uh, they didn't have anybody's spine. They basically just. Like it was like their scouting report said that the guy literally can't run. The guy is Landry Jones. The guy's Wes Lunt is like what it said because they played him as though he couldn't run. Yeah, and I mean he McSorley was decent through the air, but when you can when you remember the fact there was a 93 yard touchdown in there, you take out that big play and really Penn State's passing attack was pedestrian on the night. Oh, he only completed 14 something like passes. that, and then running, so, and then their between the tackles running with Sanders was not working either. McSorley so when you look was at this really stats, was really all they had yeah, to reliably all, move the ball. Basically, this actually this game was a lot like how I play NCAA as I complete. You know, on, on the harder difficulties, I've got an intact receiver that I'll scramble around and complete plays to, and then I'll just, you know, okay, I don't want to toss a pick here, I'm going to run it. Now, I don't want to toss a pick, oh, I'm going to run it. So, even though the stats look really impressive, like, 175 yards, but he carried it 25 times, and it was a lot of design passing plays, <clears throat> uh, Ohio State was basically just seeding that yardage to him, and 
it ended up just barely working, but I can't help but think of a, a, a more comprehensive yeah. game plan yeah, yeah. might have I lowered the risk of losing substantially. I can't help but think the game plan was not, we'll let Trace McSorley run for seven yards a carry as long as he wants. I don't think that was quite what they envisioned with it. Maybe they underestimate his athleticism. I don't know. But, and you know, to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it, we'll, we'll circle back then to the play call at the end of the game. Everybody, I mean, it was much discussed. Fourth and five, Penn State's got to have this to have any chance of winning the game. What do they go to but an RPO that ends up being the run, that ends up being for Miles Sanders, that ends up being the offensive line completely failing to pick up a twist. We gave Penn State's offensive line a lot of chatter earlier this year. I don't know if we have, but various sources have about how much better they are. Boy, did they blow this one. And yeah, Ohio State's got a good defensive line, but... How is the play call in this situation to give the ball to anyone but Trace McSorley? I mean, I guess you can argue that they did. They gave him the read, and he made a bad read. You know what? I don't know that it would have made a whole hell of a lot of difference what he read because they were there in the backfield. Chase Young was there in an instant, yes. I mean, I don't don't think it would have mattered at that point. The offensive line absolutely blew it, but the point is you needed to get the ball to someone fast because they were coming. Maybe, yeah, but the sell on the bubble screen was also not too convincing, so... Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I don't know that it was that god awful a play call, but boy was it executed poorly. Like right. it's possible that if read correctly, it could have done well. But really, if you look at where the defense was, I don't know that any any call of that would have really worked. Well, look, I mean, think about it this way: if if they call, if they have a different formation, no, I'm, call, I'm talking about any call that McSorley could have made. Yeah, that, well, that's, in, right. that's what I mean. So. But again, most of the heat seems to have gone to Franklin for this play call, okay? So if they call it differently, say they go empty set or maybe four wide in a back and they call a draw with a pass option or something like that for McSorley and that doesn't work either, is anyone as upset if they just say, hey, we're going to run it with McSorley instead and that just ends up getting stopped? Like, I don't think so. I think part of the reason everyone's giving Franklin the crap they are is because Sanders had not done shit all night. And in the biggest moment of the game, they say, well, maybe you'll do shit now. When, I mean, the play setup didn't really... You know, Franklin has a history of, <clears throat> well, the the more diplomatic term would be, uh, you know, not trusting certain elements of his offense or not trusting the aggressive elements of his offense. But the less diplomatic way to, to put it would be play calling cowardice in key situations on fourth downs. He chooses to punt... From uh, despite his insistence that you know between the forties is fourth is is fourth down four down territory, he made yet another punt from Ohio State territory on fourth and short. Um, the and, same and, way you know, that he lost a game to Tim Beckman in twenty fourteen. And look, he he's far from alone in this. Okay, I mean, as long as Urban Meyer had J T Barrett, there were complaints lodged in big games, especially when the Buckeyes lost that. When the chips are down, he relies on the quarterback run too much. Those accusations were made, you know, the 2013 Big Ten Championship game. They are made the 15 game when they lost to MSU. Um, It's not like Franklin is alone in this. But for a guy who, I mean, his presser after the game, he clearly views himself as being among the top echelon of coaches and thinks that his program should be there. For a guy who's not gotten there yet, you're going to get these criticisms because you don't have the ring to justify your approach necessarily. So that being said, really James good game. James Franklin, here we go. I'm I'm reading a tweet. Um, it was made shortly after the game. Two punts inside Ohio State's 40. A third punt on fourth and one from Ohio State's 49. Field goal on fourth and three in the red zone. Forgot to go to to go for two. Went up by five in the fourth, which I, I just found 
unbelievably baffling. Yeah, I have no I do, idea I do what remember that. Yeah. the deal was with that. And then Burn two timeouts to make a fourth and five, a must-convert play, and called a... That's the part of it. Right. So yeah, yeah that's, that's the additional cherry on top of this shit Sunday that's this play if you're a Penn State fan, is that this is the result that you got after taking two timeouts. So yeah, plenty of room for objection there, but um, as I was saying, still a very satisfying, very entertaining game. Still no question in my mind that that's teams number one and two in the conference. You see the separation there. I think there was more than a point of difference in the quality of these two teams that just ended up. This is probably a better result than Penn State would expect on average. It is a whiteout. It is at home, etc. Well, if Penn State was not a team that was cheered for by Penn State fans. Well, sure. Right, if it was just Penn State. Yes. And because, I mean, there's no Penn State fans here. So <laughs> we are allowed to talk about Penn State however we want, which is looking at it on paper... You probably would have, I mean, the line on this game, I think, ended up settling at like four for Ohio State, which, yeah. damn it, I picked them to cover the spread. But in any case, um, that felt like about the difference. Like, not a huge gap, and if, you know, I would say the gap is narrowing, but with the way Ohio State recruited the last couple classes, that's not true. Um, so, yeah, this is probably the result that we would expect eight times out of ten. Uh, it's not that it would be impossible for Penn State to pull this upset, but this is probably the result we should have seen. Still clearly the one and two teams in the conference. Um, I've seen Penn State fans consoling themselves somewhat with the notion that, oh, if we win out, we can still we still have a better-than-coin flip chance of going to the playoff. No, that's not. Well, they're going to uh, need Ohio <laughs> State to... Well, they're going to need Urban Meyer to take his medicine at an inopportune time and forget that Iowa exists. Well, no, that's, that's if they... I'm saying, I mean, if Penn State wins out, the only way they go... In, it would basically the most likely oh, scenario. Oh, that, be, that yeah. they that they take the Alabama route into the yes. playoffs. Well, they don't have the college football playoff or BCS clout of Alabama, so they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt there. No, and and they need a lot of teams to lose. Uh, Notre Dame is they has put themselves in the driver's seat. You know, they they don't play such an incredible schedule as Bama to have teams like Arkansas and Ole Miss. I think they played Vandy in the crossover this year. They don't have that incredible SEC strength of schedule. On a related note, uh, not too long after that tweet I read was posted in the Champagne Room Slack, I appear to have said in there, if there is a God but there isn't hell, God will create hell when Brian Kelly dies. You really didn't react well in Notre Dame being good, did you? Um, (laughs) I don't love it either, but... I mean, who cares? I think that I think that as far as being a despicable head college football head coach goes, and I know that that's an oxymoron, yeah, but I, mean, I think that he's in a class by himself. Well, sure, and that that brings us to our recap of the rest of the conference at, or the rest of the action around the country because uh, Notre Dame rocked Stanford in a battle of top ten teams that I think everyone thought would be close. Well, it was close for a bit. For a minute. In the second half, Notre Dame just started whipping them. It was, I think the last time I checked in the first half, it was tied at 14, and then the next time I came back, and it was like a three-score game. I was like, yeah. oh, that got out of hand in a hurry. They look like a completely different team with Ian Book. Turns out having a quarterback who can throw really opens a lot of things up on offense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we put this in our dick trip in review segment, but that's really only the most technical of dick trips. <laughs> technical dick trips, the best kind of dick trips, because <laughs> Stanford was ranked higher than Notre Dame, but by one spot, they were on the road. So that's not going to be my choice for Dick Trip of the Week. Um, we see Duke losing at home to Virginia Tech for their first loss of the season. Again, Vatek, pretty good team, but they had lost their starting quarterback, Josh Jackson, who was hurt, and Virginia Tech had kicked their best defender off the team after last week's game. So very much... Or no, it was before last week's game. Was it before last week's game? I thought it was... Yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was liking a whole bunch of oh, Old Dominion right. stuff. That's right. Forgot all about that. <laughs> 
Um, so that's another that's another possibility. Um, you look at Mississippi State and how the bloom has kind of come off their rose a little bit, losing at home to Florida and their former head coach Dan Mullen. Oh my God, that's gotta hurt. That's a pretend. I mean, we we don't see the team to team jump of head coaches within the Big Ten. I can't. I, can you think of the last time that happened? There there have been some that I remember, but it was it was in quite the a while past. ago. Yeah, but in the SEC, I mean, it's you usually just see teams hiring Nick Saban's coordinators, but I mean, in this case, you have with Florida no actually poached yeah, with Mississippi no State's no lag coach. time go from one conference school to another. And then, you, I mean, Dan Mullen was there for a long time, had more success with them than really anybody you want to name. That's the thing. We didn't have to play Bill Self after he left for Kansas. Right. Um, but we, we did play him once. Uh, we lost to the Morris Twins. But that was, that was like seven years later. Yeah. This is, that memory is still pretty fresh. And considering that um, Mississippi State also just came off a loss to Kentucky last week, you know, the fan base is going to be up in arms a little bit about first-year coach Joe Moorhead. And really, with Mick Fitzgerald coming back, I thought they'd be a lot better than they Yeah, had. I really didn't expect them to drop this one this emphatically. You know, looking around elsewhere, some of the lower-profile potentials for Dick Tripp of the Week, you have a few candidates. Um, I was surprised that Tulane roughed up Memphis the way they did. I mean, it's not... Good on Tulane, triple option team with a great, great logo. Yeah, angry tidal wave. Appro- their, appropriate their for Their ones were just amazing. Appropriate for New Orleans, but... You know, Memphis is not exactly, they're not they are not your UCF or your Boise State. They're not a New Year's Six contender or anything. But they've still been pretty good. And uh, a strong, like, which, yeah. which Norvell is that? Mike Norvell. Yeah. Or no, uh, I don't know. I think it's Mike Norvell. Jay One Norvell year. is out somewhere. It could be Jay Norvell. I don't know. One of them Norvell brothers, though, um, who has really had that offense clicking. And they're a, an entertaining team to watch as well. Uh, we saw Unless Arm- they're playing Tulane, in which case they just couldn't. I mean, they, they just couldn't keep up, and as Tulane kept eating up the clock, yeah, uh, just yeah. couldn't catch it. You know, looking elsewhere, um, Ar- Army handed Buffalo its first loss of the season, and emphatically so. Um, Army kind of a difficult team to place. They're, on the one hand, yeah, they forced overtime against Oklahoma. They now beat Buffalo pretty convincingly. Um, who was their first loss? Wasn't their first loss kind of a bad loss to have? Oh, man, Am I, I making don't this up? remember. Well, let's consult, because i got to know. Two and two. They beat Hawaii, right? No, they lost to Hawaii, didn't they? Isn't no, Hawaii? I, no, I thought they beat Hawaii. Like no, that's right, because Hawaii yeah. had to come. Yeah, okay. I don't know, man. We pay a little bit of attention to football, but... Oh, oh, they lost by 20 to Duke. That was it. And so it is a Power 5 opponent, but... No, they're 3-2, and two. yeah, because yeah. they also blasted Liberty. So that was a little bit of an unexpected result, I would say. Um, Buffalo, in my mind, had a little bit but of... we just talked about them. Rolling. Yeah, I mean... We, we just talked about them last <laughs> week as being... Hey, this is the team that could, you know, shift the power dynamic in the MAC East. Yeah, looking elsewhere, um, boy, it really looks like Bobby Petrino is trying to make Louisville fire him, doesn't it? They, <laughs> man, that Bama thing hit them hard. Oh my goodness! I know how that feels. I mean, I know how that feels. Well, hey, look, Mark D'Antonio at least held on by a string there and survived. God. <laughs> You do not want Bama, man. What have, what have we learned if not you don't want Bama? And that, honestly, that's probably the best argument for the strength of the SEC overall is that plenty of teams in that conference do play Bama and they are not instantly ruined for over a year. Like That's, that's probably the best argument for them is that they can endure the withering smolder of Bama. And well, and be... like, the other thing is, boy, you know... Bama puts up some embarrassing scores on teams that doesn't that don't then call into question whether or not the head coach should be fired. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like, like 59 to nothing, and Kevin Sumlin's job was still safe. Yeah. <laughs> Although, whether that was ultimately... Um... And then, you know, the last thing is... Boy, at the beginning of the season, it seems like there's a lot of talk about FAU being a potential New Year's Six entrant. They got roughed up by Oklahoma, and everyone shrugged it off, like, oh, well, Oklahoma's really good, yada, yada. But like, Blaine Train seems to have lost a little bit of steam, coming off tracks a little bit. So he might end up be stuck in Boca Raton long-term. Maybe there is some justice in the universe after all. I mean, the, the moral arc of the universe is long. Well, really... But it bends towards Lane Kiffin's puffy ass having to stay in Boca Raton. Everything looked... Like, it made sense because you had, you know, obviously Oklahoma is going to walk all over a team with a talent differential like this. Uh, they beat a solid-looking Air Force squad, uh, 33-27, uh, hung up a bunch of points on Bethune-Cookman, gave up 28, and then lost a shootout to UCF. Um, but then they have dropped one to Middle Tennessee. Right, that's the one I'm that's that's, the one we're yeah, referring that's, to that, here. That I mean, suddenly, like, all the of a sudden... The worm turns a little bit. This is a go? much less excusable loss than is UCF or Oklahoma, which... I mean, with those two losses, if you get to nine or ten wins, you're probably still going to a mid-tier bowl game, even as a Sun Belt team, right? Sun Belt Conference USA. Sun yep. Belt. Sun Belt. Uh, <laughs> Fun, I'm sorry, Fun Belt. No, they're Conference USA. I'm sorry, I have yeah, it yeah. right here. What am I doing? One of them, Florida's. Who knows? And then the near, the other thing, not a dick trip because they ended up pulling it out, but man, was Syracuse close to pulling it off on Clemson again? Oh. And, and, granted, and granted, Clemson loses their starting quarterback to a concussion partway through the game. Kelly Bryant had just transferred. Um, so they end up starting, I think, a redshirt freshman, some scrub three-star, uh, unworthy of a roster spot, essentially. Whoa, whoa. But they end up managing to pull this off, mostly on the back of a running game that just grounds Syracuse into dust. Um, and granted, the Syracuse defense is not nearly as talented as the Clemson defense. The Clemson defense also really put the vice grips down on Syracuse late when they needed to start moving the ball to keep the ball away from Clemson. They couldn't do it because of that incredible defensive line, which feels like it's receded a little bit in the background, but they still got four first-rounders on that line. Well, and Travis Etienne was able to run the ball an awful lot to yeah. compensate for vulnerabilities at quarterback with only having a guy that would start in most of the Big Ten instead of all of it. Yeah, he did. And and uh, the thing that we saw after this game in the Twitter sphere was this pitched discussion about whether Ke- apparently Kelly Bryant could have still come back to the team and so there's arguing about, well, should he have left in the first place? Should he come back? Should they take him back? Should he want to come back? What do you make of this whole thing? It's something that I'm not, I wasn't really prepared to, you know, for this to start being a trend because you've seen an awful lot of, I mean, this is now yet another guy that's lost uh, the starting job somewhere between the start of the season and the end of a potential redshirt year. Um, and has decided to leave the program. Well, he left at the last possible minute to preserve his red shirt. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That, yeah, so. that period is now really the first five weeks of the season, you know, from, from training camp to the first five weeks of the season with bye weeks factored in there. And so it's fine to argue whether or not it was a rational and logical decision because, yes, you're one injury away from going back in, but, well, you're only going back in until the guy who replaced you is healthy, etc., the one angle that I cannot stand on this that we see in these situations all the time is, well, he should have stayed because it's the best thing for the team. Man, in this situation, screw the team, okay? This is his last real chance to play. He's not really an NFL prospect. This is his last season of eligibility playing a game that he's adored since he was a child. Yes, he should do whatever he needs to to make sure that he has a chance to play if that's what's most important to him. And if what's most important to him is, oh, you got a chance to get a ring. Well, first up, I think I already have one. Yeah, he would have been on the roster when Clemson won. And second, if that's the most important thing to him, then he'll stay on the team. And if it's not, if he wants 
to have a chance to be the guy that plays, then yeah, he should. He has every right to do. That's the only leverage he has is the ability to choose where he wants to go. He's not getting paid. And even if he was, we saw this in the NFL this week when Earl Thomas suffered another terrible injury. It's probably going to end God. his season and maybe his career after he unsuccessfully held out for a better deal from the Seahawks. They ultimately ground him down because he wanted to play so much that he was willing to risk it. And how, what did that risk end up paying off for him? No. Screw the team. You get yours. Yeah, this and you know, that, you... you know that there's some there's some stuffy old men saying, that's what Earl Thomas gets for not being a team player. Yeah, man. What, even though, what horrible people. There, there was an article on the Mothership about this that basically indicated Thomas is not holding back at all. He was still going balls to the wall, still one of the best defensive players in the league. That mindset, boy, it, I never hear people express that kind of thing to me in person. Because I think the people I watch sports with know me well enough that if you say something like that, you might catch these hands. That's an absurd take. So that's all we have to say about that. Well, uh, the other thing I will add is, remember that Florida running back that uh, transferred after they lost to Kentucky? Yeah, I don't remember his name, but I do. Yeah, well, uh, as it turns out, he's been charged with uh, domestic assault. And uh, is probably not going to be playing, probably wouldn't have been playing in Florida anyway. So there are other reasons to get out of Dodge necessarily besides playing. Yeah, well anyway... Um, moving on to this coming week of Big Ten action, where... Six total games, that's one more game than last week. Yep, so Purdue and Penn State get to, uh, well, Penn State gets to go ahead and convince themselves that they didn't actually lose the game, because they did essentially win it. They just, well, you know, like Northwestern, they were so many minutes and seconds away from a win, and so they can just, you know, uh, cry into the shirt with that printed on it. So if you uh, take six well, or they seven, at home. if you take six or seven plays away, then they won the game. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, they won the first quarter. Yeah, can't wait to play Penn State on the road next week after they have a week to stew in a loss to Ohio State in a game that they probably should have won given the way it unfolded. Yeah, can't wait for that. Um, first matchup of the weekend, one which apparently everyone thinks is going to be a blowout, given that I think we saw a 17-point line on this. Maryland at Michigan. What do you think? Well, I think that this is going to be closer than people expect for one big reason, and that is Maryland's offensive line. Uh, back to full strength, they've shown that they can push around a weaker defensive front, but a Big Ten defensive front in um, Minnesota. Now Michigan has a strong defensive line, but this is an offensive line that could compete with them. And with a little bit of a caveat there, because the truth is, despite their defensive ends being elite, Michigan really has not had as good a play from the defensive tackles this year. They miss Maurice Hurst in a big way, and this will be the best offensive line they've seen this year. This is going to be kind of an interesting test for both teams. We, I think we discussed this beforehand. You and I both picked Maryland to cover this. It is at Michigan Stadium, and Michigan is a completely different team there. So it could end up being that the Wolverines cover pretty easily and make us look silly, but... I don't know. I think this is going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to it, actually. Um, yeah, this yeah, this is really probably the only game this weekend that I'm particularly looking forward to. Floyd is usually good, but the imbalance there. And we'll go ahead and get straight into that, I guess. So, Iowa at Minnesota for the Floyd of Rosedale. I don't recall the line on this. I think it's Iowa by roughly a touchdown. When you count for the fact that it's on the road, it's objectively probably about a 10-point difference, which seems about right to me. Iowa is a team that can go toe-to-toe with Wisconsin. They absolutely did. They made some very crucial mistakes that cost them that game. Minnesota is not. So I think Iowa should win this one comfortably. Yeah, this this feels like a game where 
Iowa's preferred game plan of lean on them until they give in is going to work because Minnesota really doesn't have the depth in the trenches to stand up to them on either side. I don't expect Minnesota to be able to run the ball on Iowa's defensive front. I do not expect Minnesota's defensive front to slow down Iowa very much. So, And if Iowa gets... If Iowa gets out to a huge like one point lead early, then if they're gonna make <laughs> if they're gonna make uh, Anikstead pass it, then they're not going to be able to catch up that way. Yeah, they we've already, not panic. We've already seen that he's really not capable of doing that. Anikstead has been fine for the most part, but he's he's the kind of he's the kind of guy that you don't that that you're not gonna want to have to lean on a lot to do a lot of the heavy lifting. No, not at, not at game five of his career, and that's nothing against the guy. It's just. He's not ready to win this kind of game by himself yet if the rest of his team can't keep up. So I up. think it could very well be a 10-point game, but it could be like 10 of the most insurmountable points. Yeah, it know, could be... A it very could, insurmountable 10-point lead. It could be 10 points made of like the core of a dying sun. Like there's no way this is going to be overcome. That I could easily see that being the way it goes. Um, I guess we'll talk about the Michigan State-Northwestern game. This really... The only difference in between these two teams at this point is the win-loss column. Other than that, it has been a disappointing slog on offense. It has been mostly quality play by both defenses with just enough mistakes so that you don't view them as being an elite group. But These are uh, teams that built their identities a few years ago on, to varying degrees, being able to run the ball first and be able to play very good defense, especially against the run. But they kind of don't really do that as much this year, but they think they do. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> That's true for both of those teams, because even though they're having... You know, they, they still like to pretend that the run is the focal should be the focal point of the offense, even as they have end up with quarterbacks throwing 50 passes a game. I can't wait to see whose dedication to schematic dogma is stronger. I'm going with D'Antonio here because we saw last year he ain't going to do a damn thing to, to adjust the defense to account for these crossing routes that Northwestern is so good at. All those same receivers are back for Northwestern. Right? I think one guy is gone. I don't remember who, but if this game looks like it did last year, I'm going to scream. I'm going to pull my hair out because it will confirm what I say pretty much every weekend here, which is that D'Antonio is too stubborn to adjust for his own good. Wasn't that, like, wasn't that the one where like they combined for 120 passing attempts, but it only scored, like, what, was it 38-31? Um, like, but that was only because of overtime. Like, the regulation score would have led you... Three overtime. Yeah, the regulation score with the yeah. amount of passing attempts, like... You look at the amount of passing attempts, you would have thought the regulation score would be much, much higher. Like a I love, big 12 game. I love hilarious ratios of pass yeah, attempts yeah. to points. Yeah, no, it, it was... <laughs> That's very big 10. Passing yardage-wise, it was a big 12 game. Scoring-wise, it was a big 10 game. Um, that's probably what we're going to see again this week. And the weather's supposed to be it's supposed to be a thunderstorm, shady. yeah. So revving up. So the yeah, old... they're definitely you know at, tack on ten more pass attempts per side. Yep, revving up the Mark Hollis weather machine. We'll see if we can get back in that groove and, and ride it till it breaks. Um, a couple games that we'll go over next that frankly don't expect to be close: Indiana and Ohio State. You know the Hoosiers have shown some quality this year, but. This is usually a game. I mean, they've kept it close. They've kept it close in the recent past. What do you think? I mean, do you see any any way Indiana gets this within a winnable range? Well, if I look at these two games, we're talking about Indiana, Ohio State, and then Nebraska at Wisconsin. I think in each of these games, the red team is going to just run all over the red team. A lot of red on red violence here, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't. With the way that I can't see Indiana. Indiana strikes me as a really steady team. So I can't see them 
playing a lot worse than they looked against Michigan State, but I also can't see them playing a lot better. Yeah, than if, that. I see what you mean. They they do not they're, feel they're, like a team with much variance. They don't seem to have a really low floor, but their ceiling seems to be kind of low as well. And because of the talent differential, I think that Indiana's ceiling is probably not really all that close to Ohio State's floor, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I And I can't even express to you how how much I'd like to be extremely wrong, but you sure. know, this oh, sure. is college oh, sure. football, and you're allowed to have some fun things, but not quite on this scale. Yeah. Like, it, it allows you to... Well, it's like America, in that it allows you to have the illusion that you could... You could make it to the top two, but really you can't. Really, the system is stacked against you unless you just happened to to have the means from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Similar story in Nebraska versus Wisconsin, I think. Um, if with, I mean, with less hope, I would say. You know, Nebraska, again, showed some signs of life last week. I think you know, maybe there's some indications there that they're getting a little bit more in the way of buy-in, but yeah, this is not going to go well. This is a Nebraska defense that has failed to stop Anyone with a pulse. Well, especially know? especially on the ground, which is a real, yeah. real problem. Real problem. <laughs> because, you know, Wisconsin has faced a couple of teams that did very good, a very good job of stopping the run. And as a result, you haven't really heard much about Jonathan Taylor the last couple of weeks, and that's got to be bothering them. Got to be bothering him, too. So, yeah, I, I don't think this is going to be especially close. It's at Camp Randall, no less. So, yeah, avoid this game if you can. Put something else on. <clears throat> Speaking of which... We've gotten everything out of the way, and now it's time for the game of the week! Alright, it's Illinois at Rutgers, and... Uh, oh to, yeah! To be perfectly honest, I know that the vast majority of people listening to this don't really want to hear about this game, and if you want to hear about it in a lot of depth, uh, like, probably about a half an hour from right now, I'm going to record the uh, We Know You Have Sand Illinois podcast on the Champagne Room, where we will... Go ahead and lament in further depth, but I'm very nervous about this game, and I kind of... I'm going to go ahead and call Rutgers to win this one, because Illinois has a recent history... A few reasons. One, Illinois has a recent history of, in their first road game, looking like they have never played football in their lives before. Uh, So, if this was a home game, I'd feel a lot better about it, but on the road, not that I'm scared of Piscataway. Big home field advantage. That we can't possibly go in against the hashtag blackout. Um, with our, you know, we can't go in there against all the blacks in all of our white uniforms. Um, and, you know... Well, look, I mean, given my personal experience with the utilities at um, whatever they call their stadium, there's a good chance of a blackout. So regardless of whether the fans show up or not... It's not a thing where, I'm, where like, I'd be scared to play there. It's a thing where I'm scared of us to play anywhere that's not Memorial Stadium. So um, the other thing is that, that worries me is that... Uh, the teams that have played Rutgers have put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, by I mean, that's been what they aimed to do, and it worked really well. They were able to force Sitkowski into a lot of mistakes. Chris Ash is 100% committed to making this Sitkowski thing happen, so he's going to get the start. And I'm worried that since our defensive line hasn't done much, and we never blitz, and we always play two high safeties, we're not going to get any pressure on him, and if we don't get any pressure on him and we've got the same coverage, he, he can operate effectively if he's getting, you know, if receivers are getting uh, open throws, he's just looking at the exact same coverage all game. And it really sucks because he's become a meme, and he matches up really well schematically with what we want to do but don't have the talent for. This is kind of like the defensive equivalent of uh, when, you know, 
Bo Schembechler, protege Gary Moeller, was in the head coaching capacity in Illinois in that he tried to run the, you know, the I-formation offense, three yards in a cloud of dust, without the talent to do it, which meant that it just, the offense was a failure, a complete failure, no matter who they lined up against. And the defense will be very good if the talent ever gets there. Um, But the talent and experience is not there, and so you're going to see guys in the secondary getting lost. Um, The defensive line has not shown any ability to bring pressure on its own. And the other thing that worries me then is that all we really do well on offense is run the ball. And as teams figure out that our pass protection is awful and we don't really have any receivers that are healthy that can get separation, um, they're going to tee off on us. And, I mean, Penn State didn't scout us. Rutgers is going to scout us. Rutgers has scouted us. And I'm worried that they're going to play eight in the box. They're going to tee off on us even if we are open in the holes they're going to have guys in the next level there because I mean there's not really much of a risk of us beating them with the pass um so I am I'm gonna call Rutgers to win this one and I I don't even know if a couple of weeks ago I would have said that Rutgers winning this game would have just broken me but you know I don't know I'm usually broken so as a fan so whatever did you take a breath in that whole thing you might I, not have. You're like you. I you have been like, waiting you all like week. Visibly... I've been frantically checking like all of the Illinois sites just for somebody to present me with a well reasoned argument of why Illinois should absolutely win this game convincingly, and nobody has done it. So I've just been waiting for someone to tell me something good. You like visibly tell me, tell me something. You visibly deflated as you like like used all of your air and like leaned forward a little bit. So just to give all of our listeners at home a nice visual of that, um, picture like like a like a bounce house, but like the fan that's inflating it isn't really working all that well, so it kind of like lists to one side a little bit. But it's also talking about Illinois Rutgers. Like a pretty good uh, uninterrupted monologue. Don't you <laughs> don't you fail to refer to this rivalry by anything other than Illinois, Illinois or apologize. the high voltage rivalry. I'm, disre- I'm disregarding the importance of the game. Here yeah, so conference. it's Illinois or the high voltage rivalry <clears throat> because, right. as you know, Ohm's law <laughs> says that V equals I R, voltage equals current times resistance, I times R equals danger, danger, high voltage. And this should be a rivalry game because, frankly, since Rutgers has joined the Big Ten, really since, not discounting that first year, uh, Rutgers-Illinois has been each program's, all right, this is where we get to prove that we are not the <laughs> biggest laughing stock in this conference. That's going to actually generate some, well, whatever the opposite of great moments are, it's going to generate those, but they're still memorable. Sure will generate some moments. Things will happen that will be on the, on the spectrum of linear time as we know it in this game. So that being said, let's look around nationally. Only a couple of games that really caught my eye. A couple of SEC matchups. Kentucky at Texas A&M. I feel like the wheels got to come off for Kentucky at some point. There's no way they're actually legit, is there? They can run the ball. Yeah, Benny Snell's fine. All right. Um, Also, Auburn at Mississippi State. This feels like the kind of game Auburn usually face plants in. If Mississippi State wants to salvage their season at all, this is one they got to win. They're out of the conference rankings already. Forget about that. But... You know, if you're going to give some indication that Joe Moorhead wasn't a colossal mistake, take advantage of one of these opportunities and win this game. Now, the only good game that I see... Well, wait a second. I do want to mention that Auburn at Mississippi State is, of course, a big-time rematch of 3-2. to 
Right. The best game nationally this week is probably going to be the Red River Shootout, Texas Oklahoma. That's always a good game. You, yeah, regardless of the circumstances. Even if it's, of the even team. If it's a blowout, some really funny things will happen. Yeah, it's it. I mean, it's the most Texas State Fair thing ever. Like no matter how, no matter what the quality is or whatever you're looking at, you're gonna laugh your ass off. So yeah, you should check out the Red River rivalry. It's gonna be excellent. It's gonna be an interesting test because I don't think Oklahoma has faced a defense this good. Probably not, no. Or at least this talented. Right. I mean, there there may be some statistically excellent defenses they face because of quality opposition or whatever, but no, in terms of magnitude of talent, this will be the biggest test for Oklahoma. It's starting to feel like Texas might actually be legit. That Maryland result is looking better week by week. Something's got to give here. I mean, I, I think I'd prefer Oklahoma to win the game, but like you said, stranger things have happened in this matchup. Yeah, well, I mean, without Bob Stoops there to generally... Make Popeye to just, faces. They're just stoops all over the place. I kind of, I don't know. I don't really know what Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma dick trip profile looks like yet. There's not quite enough data. If this was Bob Stoops, with all the hype that Oklahoma and Kyler Murray have right now, oh, I would say for sure, no they question, they lose, and like, and they look confused the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Alright, that'll do it. Yep. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle empire.